as we continue this book in the series in the book of Acts, I just want to welcome you guys. Kind of the theme of this experiencing the greatness of God together as a community, experiencing the greatness of God together as a community. We're going to continue that and we're going to look at Acts 2 verses 22 to 41. And really I titled it The Greatness of God, kind of following with this as it reveals I think his relational aspect of who he is in this little piece, that passage that we're reading. And we're going to look at this aspect, the greatness of God relationally, and as Jesus being a man of God, Jesus, man of God, right? And how he's fully man, fully God, and how it's presented. And the importance of that, along with, as we read through, kind of reveals this redemptive plan of God, how God how Peter speaks on it and reminds us this redemptive plan of God and how it's planned and purposed. And lastly, how he calls people to turn to him, how he calls people to turn and how he gives people a way to respond to his word. Before we continue today, let's, let's take a second and pray and just kind of silence our hearts and be ready to hear his will. I'll pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for today, Lord. Thank you that Lord, we just, are able to gather and worship. Lord, we pray that even as we, at the end, respond in worship may be, Lord, just our prayer, our desire, and our response to you, Lord. May you take away the distractions perhaps in our minds right now, the things that are going to happen this week or later today. But Lord, allow us to just dwell and spend time in your presence, Lord. I pray for your word to speak loudly to each one of us, Lord, that your word would cut to our hearts and reveal who you are more and more, that you would draw us to you, and that this time will be spent as a worship and a praise to you, Lord. And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word and your truth. We just pray for your voice and your spirit to lead. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at Acts 2, verses 22 to 41. And continue on. It says, as Peter is giving this <clears throat> after uh, the Pentecost, and he's giving this amazing message to the people that are there, he says this. He says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life you will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here today, this day. But he, is, he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what it was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see and now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, 
Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who, accept, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And I think one of the things that these three observations, one of the things that really stood out to me today is, is this idea of Jesus was a man, right? It says here, and when Peter speaks, Jesus of Nazareth was a man. I think sometimes we read this and perhaps we gloss over it. We gloss over the idea that Jesus was a man, or even sometimes we may feel that, oh wait, Jesus, he's God that looks like a man, and that's why he's able to do all this stuff. But here it's a reminder that Jesus was fully man. He was a man accredited, accredited by God to you by miracles, right? I think oftentimes the importance of this really stands out in what we see in the author of Hebrews when he writes this. He says, therefore, in Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 15, therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. This remembrance that Jesus was a man that was tempted, that can empathize with our weaknesses, what we go through. That he's not a distant God that's far away, but rather a God that understands, that has gone through what you and I go through, perhaps on a daily basis. That Jesus, he knows, <clears throat> perhaps there's those of us that are weary, that Jesus knew weariness, that he was tired that he is tired from the journey and he sat down. He understood the human limitations. Perhaps some of you may be tired right now, for it's from school, from work, from kids. And you're like, I'm just so beat. I just would like to have some rest or I need some Sabbath or rest. And sometimes we feel like, wait, God doesn't know that. He's, he has all the energy and power. But rather, it's a reminder that Jesus was a man. He understood weariness tiredness he knew rejection right from his disciples <clears throat> that turned his their back on him and no longer followed and people that were with him for many months perhaps years in his ministry that turned away that rejected him even those who are faithful to him turned away when he was crucified he knew this rejection perhaps you and i feel from those around us that he understands even what you go through and feeling this rejection of wait, I'm not accepted here. Or perhaps he might be feeling sorrow and pain and grief that he understood that too. That he says <clears throat> when he's about to cruise, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Right? Jesus knows, he understands. This is when we see that Jesus was a man. I think it stands out so much more and more. It goes on more, I have a couple more examples that he understood loneliness. 
When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Why have you forsaken me? And perhaps when we go through these periods of time of just, God, where are you? What are you speaking on? I don't feel you. I don't know where, what you're doing. I feel that everyone around me, they're all gone. That Jesus knows. He understands. And even lastly, that he understands temptation. Right? That when he was in right after baptism, right after being recognized as the son of God, on a, <clears throat> on a, in one essence, a spiritual high, right afterwards, going to the desert and being tempted by Satan. This idea that, you know, that when we go through ups and downs, we might go through highs and lows, that Jesus understands. I realize more and more how important that is, that he's not just a faraway God. He is not someone that you can't relate to, but rather he is a relational God, a God that cares, a God that understands. That God sent his son, Jesus, to be man so that we would be able to know him. Right, that he would understand all of humanity, that he would go through humanity, and for us, that we would understand a God who was you. Hebrews also says, author Hebrews in verse in chapter 2, verses 17 to 18, he says, for this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was being tempted, when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted. I think whatever we may be going through or however way, sometimes we may feel how God's distant or doesn't understand or, or we're struggling or we feel like, hey, I'm, I can't do this anymore. This is a reminder that Jesus was a man tempted in every way, able, what he says, able to be merciful and faithful priest in service to God, right? That in this way that he might atone for our sins, be that bridge. And in many ways, this relationship with Christ is all made possible through I think this is something that, you know, <clears throat> we oft, often think we might just read and just cast aside that Jesus, he's a God, he's, he doesn't fully understand. But no, I think I want to bring it back and remind us that Jesus was a man, that he understands what you're going through. He's able to hear all your prayers, your cries, your things of your heart that perhaps even you might be afraid to share with other people that he can relate, that he would speak, and that he cares. If there are times where you might feel that, that he doesn't, I want to remind you that he, he does. This is the greatness of God, the relational aspect of who he is. Also, as, as it shows in Acts, the second observation I want to bring up is the redemptive plan of God. Right, Peter speaks on this, and he brings it out. And I think it brings out to light this idea of greatness of God is this, is that he says, this man was handed over you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. I love how it says the plan and foreknowledge that, you know, there's a lot of times where we're wrestling with human accountability. Is it all God? Is it, I think it's both. He works together in ways that has a plan and a foreknowledge, understands what people will do and 
and works in this whole aspect of sovereignty. That it brings us this understanding that he has a plan and that he revealed this redemptive plan to the people at that moment. It brings so much to me when I, when I read about this and I just see just the, the brilliance, amazing aspects of how Peter brings up Psalms, right? He quotes Psalm 16 of what David says in, as he writes, King David, as he writes in this. But he says in this passage that he says, you will not let your Holy One see decay. He brings a Psalm that was written by David, perhaps for his descendants, but he ties it and brings it to light of how the Old Testament has hints and has concealed aspects of Jesus that is now being revealed in the New Testament. That as people are looking into this, as they're studying the scriptures, that's all they had, the Old Testament, that they are starting to see how God has deliberately planned, has spoken about this Messiah to come. All right, he clearly states it as he explains it. He said, I confidently tell you that David has died, King David, he was buried. He was a prophet. He knew what God has promised, but that he decayed and, and what he was speaking on was one of his descendants, which Peter then ties into the Messiah, the resurrection of the Messiah, right? That he died and rose again on the third day. And then he goes on and says that they are witnesses to this. I think this is something that... <clears throat> Is, is bigger and bigger as we're reminded of this redemptive plan that God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. In this way, I think <clears throat> we see just in this passage how Peter points to the Old Testament, allows people to understand, and then reveals how Christ is shown in it. Right, this redemptive plan from the beginning of how God has deliberately planned and had foreknowledge that we ourselves could not earn a way there. We could not live rightly in ways that would allow us to do so. Right, that we could never earn our way to God. As much as sometimes we believe that and we, we say that, I think it's a reminder and a check for it each one of us, perhaps sometimes we always, we may think I, I should do these good things because sometimes we think, wait, I have to be right with God. All right now there's an aspect of relationally, but I think oftentimes we might think of it transactionally. All right, this is a reminder for each one of us, especially today, that it is for the atonement of our sins. Right, back at the Hebrews verse again, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people, that he created a way for people to have a relationship with God, that we were separated because of our sins. In Romans 3, it makes it more clear, there is no one righteous, not even one, verse 10. There's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away, that they have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. It goes on in verse 20, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sins. That he provided a way, he provided a way in his death and his resurrection so that there would be forgiveness and there would be 
a relationship avenue with our relationship with God. At the end of Acts, in this passage, Peter says this, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. He speaks of this avenue, as he speaks of this, he says, repent and be baptized. Turn from what you realize, the consciousness of your sins. Be baptized and everyone in the name of Jesus, reminded that it's forgiveness of your sins and that you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it lays out this gospel message, the redemptive plan of how God planned for Jesus to die on the cross, to be raised from dead and for it to pay for atone for our sins and have this relationship, be gifted with this Holy Spirit in our relationship with God. And this is what reminds me of this relationship, this greatness of God, that we have this almighty, powerful God that desires and creates a way for us to have this relationship with him. I think there is the last part of this passage and this message of this human, for us, this turning to God of what we see here in the people. I really love this, this particular passage. It says this, that when the people heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to people and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This idea that the, the message, the word cut them to their heart, that they were thinking and they, they felt the weight of their sins. Perhaps even in this group of people in Jerusalem, these Israelites, it says 3,000 were <clears throat> believed at the end of this passage, perhaps we don't know, perhaps maybe a few of them, maybe one of them were part of the people that crucified, that voted, that were in the mob at the night to crucify Jesus. I don't know, but it says that it cut to their heart. They understood the weight of this. They understood and they saw in the Old Testament how Peter reveals that and points to Christ. They see the forgiveness of sin and they say, what shall we do? And they ask for this. Peter makes it very clear, and he says, repent and be baptized. This turning away from our sins, turning away and be baptized. We just celebrated the baptism of one of our fellow brothers, Jonathan. And I think it is an external proclamation of an internal decision to follow God. That he is calling people, Peter, repent and be baptized. Know that you are making your personal commitment. Right? This proclamation to have witnesses around of the forgiveness that Jesus brings and that receiving the Holy Spirit, the turning to this new life. I was telling Jenny <clears throat> this, uh, this, this past week, we finally received our minivan. And it's something that uh, <laughs> I know, it's something I can't believe I'm happy about. Right? It's funny because when I was uh, 16, that was the car that, I, that my parents gave me. We only had the minivan, and they're like, okay, now that you're 16, actually 17, they're like, you can drive this minivan. And I was thinking to myself back then, who wants to drive a minivan? And one of the things that I remember just thinking, I was like, oh, I don't like driving all the people. I have to go all around. I like, you know, why can't I have a Civic, a smaller sedan, something cooler? Right, but then that was always what I was thinking about in the, in the past when I had this minivan. It's like, oh, I wish I had a different car, 
But what's surprising, what's interesting, what reminded me of for this week was how much I was looking forward to this minivan, right? I was excited about it. I was like, oh man, finally, I can, they could, the kids could spread out. They could sit a little bit. We have some room in the back. You know, when in a minivan, when I sit in there, it feels so spacious in the front. I feel like, oh man, I finally have some space to stretch my arms. And Jenny was laughing at me. She was, she was <coughs> even saying, you know, how I would, I, you know, the first time I was driving out, instead of the CRV, I drove the minivan out. And she was like, why, why are you driving the minivan? I was like, oh, it has better mileage. But it felt comfortable. It had this, like, this new technology. And I was, but I realized that what, what changed is my perspective, my identity over time. What was important, what was valuable to me. Right, when I was younger, I was thinking, oh, I got to be cool. I got to have a car, drive around. But I'm older now that I'm a father. I know I have to lug all these things. That is much easier to open a minivan. It's much easier for them to open the door and to jump out themselves than for me to open all this stuff and try to grab them out. That I'm looking forward because of now being a father, not caring about what other people might think of how I dress and what I drive that it becomes something just by practical, by what I need, but even what I like. My values, my identity has changed. And likewise, I wonder for us, when we accept and when we receive Jesus into our lives, are we living out this life of this new identity, this new creation, this new relationship with Christ? Right, that he says, repent, be baptized, every in the forgiveness of your sins, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. We spoke about this <clears throat> last week and continue to speak about it in ways that what is our new creation, our new life look like? Are we still in the same value system, same belief of, hey, this is what defines me, this is what's important, or rather, do we see this new life that we've been given? Do we see what Jesus has done on the cross? That our life is not our own and that we have been given anew. I think about that as, as I think just even simply, I look forward to driving a minivan and how my life is different. And how now, 20 years later, how my life is different with Christ. The joke that Jenny brought up with when we were eating with some college friends is that thankfully I'm different from how I was from when I was in college to now. That when I accepted Christ to 20 plus years later, that my life is somewhat different. That I'm in that process of growing and maturing and sanctifying, being sanctified by Christ. I wonder for each one of us an encouragement is that we respond in the ways that these people, when it cuts to their heart, that they ask, what shall we do? What will it look like? How would we be, how do we want to respond to Christ, to the Holy Spirit? What is our posture in our hearts? What's interesting here is this, <clears throat> is that those who accepted, it said, his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 
And that just shows me that there are people that even in this, in this process of hearing, knowing the message, knowing what Jesus has done, hearing the witnesses, seeing this Pentecost, seeing people speak in, in miraculous ways, in supernatural ways, that there will also be people that will dis- decide, no, that's not for me. And I think that gives us a freedom. It gives me a freedom when I think about this of how do I want to share about the love of Christ to those around me? That is not so much of receiving acceptance, but rather knowing that God and his spirit will work in people's lives in his, their timing, in their place. That here we see that even in this miraculous way that there's 3,000 people that accepted and perhaps I don't know how many that decided not to. Right? It starts off saying <clears throat> that Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourself know. That they seen this. It wasn't that this group of this audience were wondering, wait, what did he do? Did he really do this? But some of them, I would think, when he's saying this, saw those miracles, saw those wonders and signs, are experiencing the Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, just verses before. And they are deciding if they want to follow Jesus, accept him. It also brings me <clears throat> to a reminder of just sometimes people are at different places. That it's not even about how, what we can speak or what, how we can speak it well. But it says here, right at the end of Acts, it says, Peter, is, he's speaking to them. He's, with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them. He was speaking to them. He was pleading with them. He gave them other things that were not recorded here by Luke. <clears throat> but it says that those who accepted People accepted. And I think that is what I want to challenge. Where is the posture of your heart in hearing the words of God in ways that it says when it cuts to their hearts, that in the times where you have spent or have experienced, there are times where I, that I knew that this was from God for me at this time. I think this is what I want to encourage is how was our posture? How do we respond continuously? And to give us freedom as we share that it's okay that people reject, they may not want, but it's not, it's something that we continue to love and care and speak to, that we could plead, that we could love. You know, I finished off with the story that many of you have heard and have been with me in this journey with my father in the past, you know. <clears throat> You know, I, you know, my dad is, you know, for many of you that have known, is always a reminder for me. Just, you know, for most of my, my childhood and, and throughout, I've always wanted and desired a, a relationship with him and just to have a relationship with my father. And it was towards the end of his life as I was, you know, sharing with him about the gospel, about, about Jesus and always being rejected and feeling that, oh man, he doesn't want, he doesn't want to know God. He doesn't, he's perfectly fine. He doesn't care. But the amazing story is that at the very end of his life, that he accepted Jesus and that he was baptized as I was on a video call randomly with him, that a, a, a pastor that is a son of his best friend and one of his best friends in Taiwan visited him three hours away, shared with them more of the gospel as I 
as my sister and I've shared. And he was like, and he asked, do you want to be baptized? And he said, yes. And days later, he passes away. You know, I think about this because <clears throat> the picture on the left <clears throat> is a picture of my mom who, you know, you know, this was one of the spiritual journeys for me 20 plus years ago. When I was 22, I was celebrating my birthday there because my mom had a ruptured aneurysm. And they at first thought it was a food poisoning. And I remember it was this whole long ordeal. And she was admitted and said, there has to be an emergency surgery. Our whole family flew out from here, from, from the States to, to Taiwan to just be with her right before her surgery and even after. And I remember they were saying, you know, there's a, a, a big chance that she would have, you know, <clears throat> physical, you know, brain damage from this, from this aneurysm, ruptured aneurysm that was not addressed for multiple days. And that after the surgery that, you know, they don't know what will happen. And I remember fasting and praying at that time. And I'm, that was one of the journeys that started for my sister to, to come to know Christ. But I'm reminded of all this because still, there are times where I see the signs and wonders. I see how God has moved powerfully in my dad. But yet, as I share with my mom about Jesus, there are times where I feel, oh, no way. She is further away. She doesn't want anything to do with God. And I'm realizing and reminded of what it says here, right? That, that he, many words that were shared with the people, that he pleaded with them. And that is an encouragement, a reminder for me <clears throat> that there is an aspect of drawing people and for ourselves to God, pointing them to God and waiting and trusting that he provides the way that he has a plan and a purpose that he cares. I'm reminded of all that, especially as I share with my mom more and more these days as she's getting older, that she's a devout Buddhist and one that really believes in karma and doing good. And if you do good, good would happen. That is ways that I'm thinking and praying and trying to figure out what would be great, what would be good, loving ways to share the message of God to her. And I hope and I pray that she will respond the ways that I saw from my dad. And I'm reminded of that of when I feel discouraged, when I feel no way it will never happen. Share all this because I think I want us to be reminded of this greatness of God. Right, this whole sermon of how he reveals himself, how he sent his son, Jesus, right? who was a man, who is God, fully man, fully God, that understands, that knows what we go through, that relates, that is our high priest, that we can speak and have a relationship with, that, we, that, that cares about us. And in this, that he has shown us the redemptive plan, his purpose, all the way from the beginning, to what we see here in Acts and continues on, that he has a redemptive plan to draw and desire for all men to turn to. And lastly, this idea and this greatness of God, what does it look like to turn to him? To hear these messages, to hear the word of God as you spend with him, 
that perhaps it cuts to your heart that respond in ways of turning to him, of coming to before him and realizing that he is your father in heaven. Oftentimes these are easily spoken about, but to live it out, to go through the ups and downs in life, sometimes perhaps the tough times, especially. These are the, <clears throat> the passages that remind me that God is there and he knows. And I'll end with this, <clears throat> that God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, that he knows and that he is with you. And later on in Acts, we'll see greater things than how he has planned and purposed the times and places that we would reach out and see that he's near. He is right there. And those ways, I believe as we worship and we pray today, that we shouldn't think of him as far away, but one that's sitting right next to you, that knows what you're going through, that's open, that desires for you to share in ways that you see that he cares. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, you are almighty and big, Lord. Lord, even when we don't see what you're doing, even when we can't feel what you're doing or you're near, Lord, thank you that you show us that you're always near, that you are there, that we can reach out and know that you are. So, Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that you will reveal yourself, Lord, that we know we can't just conjure it up our own power, our own will, but rather we wait for you, Lord. Soften our hearts in ways that we would see and respond to you, Lord. Lord, I pray for this time of worship. Lord, may it not be just words that we sing, just words that are coming out of our mouth. May it be our prayers maybe our fellowship with you lord may you may you speak to us and we know of your presence and so lord we thank you lord we thank you that you're alpha and omega that nothing is out of your sight out of your power we lift up all the struggles the pain the sorrow and we entrust it to you, Lord. That you would make beauty out of ashes. We thank you, Lord. And in Jesus' name.